This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It's uh, 5.08. You're listening to the Evening Edition, and I'm Sharad Kutin. So uh, we had on Facebook uh, a Bayan Baru MP, uh, Sim Sersin, who expressed his concerns over the declining birth rates of Malaysian Chinese. And Sim noted that the Malaysian Chinese birth rate has been declining for the last 25 years. Uh, there are several reasons that he sort of outlined or you know, identified, including individuals staying single, marrying late, choosing uh, to stop at just one child, uh, keeping a double income without a child, or choosing to migrate to other countries. Now, all these, he believes, goes uh, into the phenomenon that we're seeing uh, today. He said that this issue really needs to be discussed by the Chinese community. And there is, in fact, in his view, no single solution. Now, he did end his post, however, on a hopeful note. And he said that this dragon year may see more births than previous years. Now, what was the basis of uh, his uh, prediction? Apparently, in previous dragon years, that's in the year 20, uh, in the year 2000, rather, and the year 2012, um, Sorry, 2012, both were dragon years and both showed a peak in live birth rates. So very interesting uh, in when you consider that uh, in many ways the Chinese community, and this is what the evidence is showing, has been in decline. Now, at the uh, start of actually the formation of the Malaysian nation uh, in 1957, uh, the Chinese community was about 37.2% of the population. That figure has fallen to around 22.8%. That's of last year. In fact, projections suggest that the Chinese uh, population of Malaysia will be less than 20% by 2030. Now, what this will do to the social fabric of Malaysia is anybody's guess, right? It might do nothing, but it might, in fact, have some profound social and political and cultural consequences. So we need to know um, what we're in for. And uh, to understand that, we're going to be speaking to a demographer, like a senior researcher at the Malaysian Research Institute on aging at UPM. We want to know, of course, what do you think about this? Are you worried about the decline in our Chinese population? Do you expect major shifts in the country's social fabric? Remember, you can call 7733-2900. You can WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. BFM 89.9, the business station. It's 5.11 and you're listening to the Evening Edition. I'm Sharad Kutin. We're talking about the Chinese community, where they're going. They, of course, are the community that is a, a front and center in Chinese New Year celebrations. Of course, all of us, in some sense, join in, especially in the uh, receiving of Ang Pao. I think that's something that's uh, almost national uh, in its character. But the things are very specific to the Chinese community. Now, one of the things that has been raised in recent times is the decline in the in the Chinese community's population, its share of the, you know, the kind of larger social fabric and what this might mean for many things, including uh, institutions that are built around the Chinese community, the Chinese school system and so on. So uh, to 
To understand this better, we're speaking to Chai Senting, he's Senior Research Officer at the Malaysian Research Institute on Aging of University of Putra, Malaysia. Thank you so much for joining us, Senting, um, and uh, sending Kwaila to you. Yeah, <laughs> happy holidays. <laughs> happy holidays to you. Okay, let's... Let's start with the data that uh, the Bayan Baru MP picked up for, you know, he kind of um, sort of highlighted it. He said that, uh, in fact, the, uh, you know, the population of the Chinese community is declining across the Federation. But more importantly, he also noted the spike in dragon years. Right? So uh, as somebody who works in this field, can you help us understand if his large, his broader interpretation of the numbers is correct? Yeah, I, well, I still remember my first population conference overseas, and uh, those were the interesting spikes that happen once every 12 years, whether you use crude birth rate or you use uh, total fertility rate. Well, the Malaysian Chinese uh, does have uh, that uh, little spike during the dragon years, which is quite similar to the other uh, Chinese population, probably not uh, in such uh, obvious way, but there was a question from the floor. And for those of us who uh, believe and know about the Chinese zodiac system, well, the dragon years are really popular years to have children. But um, unfortunately, that doesn't really affect uh, the general trend of uh, fertility decline. And I think for the Chinese, it has happened consistently uh, post-independence and it has accelerated in recent years. But really, the, the interesting statistics that not many people are aware today is that the total Malaysian Chinese population actually is shrinking. I'm not talking about birth rates. I'm not talking about uh, population under 18. But the total Malaysian Chinese population actually has been dropping since 2020. As it turns out, um, we never quite reached 7 million uh, and uh, we are now making a reverse and it's starting to drop. I think the highest was in 2020, according to Dawson uh, estimates uh, during the census, it was roughly about 6.8, 6.9 million. And uh, starting from 2021 onwards, the figure is starting to slip uh, uh, annually. And I think this year it will be roughly estimated 6.8. Eight, four, eight, five uh, million uh, Chinese population, and that trend is set to continue because we are not seeing any increase in births. And uh, while the Malaysian Chinese population has the highest life expectancy, that will stabilize out, you know, and that's what's happening now. Yeah, so before we get into, you know, the consequences of that, I mean, those numbers are both startling and interesting because, you know, we want to dig deeper into them, including the question of the distribution of the Chinese population. But I want to ask you about that little spark of hope that uh, the MP from Bayanbaru kind of held out with this uh, spike during Dragon Years. Um, how significant is it? And does it do anything to change the trajectory of uh, where the Chinese population is going? Not really. If, if you look at the years before and after, you will see that the fertility rates are really much lower because planned births uh, are carried out. So those who have children around that region or the year, they will actually try and plan their birth around the dates. So there is really, you know, it, it cancels out uh, on average uh, within the year before and the year after, actually, because people would then try to have their children uh, in that period. So... Um, Statistically, not at all, because uh, it will actually just be evened out 
very rapidly. So you, the, the peak and valleys that you see in the graphs and diagrams really is a cancellation because once you have children in the dragon year, then the year after the fertility rate plummets, you know, and then it will slowly recover and uh, normalize again. But on average, it hasn't changed. Uh, total fertility rate for the Chinese in Malaysia is about 1.3, 1 1.4, still falling. But it has reached replacement levels, I think, 20 years ago, 20, 20, 2003, 2004. I believe that was when it reached replacement level, meaning the average number of uh, children born to a uh, women of uh, fertility years is 2.1. And 20 years ago, they already breached that level. So it's only a question of when the total population gets affected. So we are seeing it now, today, 20 years later. Uh, the total Malaysian Chinese population is in decline. Could you tell us if cultural factors play as significant a role in the decisions that individuals make about having children? Um, we talk about the dragon years, auspicious and such, but is that really a major uh, consideration as far as you know? Well, cultural drivers are one thing, but uh, I suppose the, the bigger factor is always about the view and attitudes uh, towards marriage towards uh, childbearing. I suppose these are the bigger issues at hand. Of course, it is popular and quite common to attribute this behavior to rising costs of living, but that would be pretty unfortunate uh, in my view because uh, I think these are very personal decisions couples will make and each generation uh, do it for themselves within their own family units. So some may choose to marry, some may choose not to marry, some may marry and not have children. So these are all very personal choices made possible today. So I, I do think it's a mix of both uh, economic and social cultural uh, factors. But I think it's really about um, our perception and value of children in today's society. I suppose that's, that's what has changed, I think. When we look at the population decline that you described for us, um, and that's something like a percentage of the larger population, do you sense that the Malaysian Chinese community and its leaders are concerned about it? And what particular aspects of that decline do they talk about most when they, when they consider this, in, especially in the, the kind of ch Chinese language public sphere? Yeah, I, I think it has been talked quite a lot about uh, about 10 years ago or 14 years ago when it reached roughly about 25%, 24%. You know, this year most likely it will be only be 21%. So there was a lot of talk about um, how our social political voice or our economic strength will be affected. But that's taking a zero-sum game, you know, approach to, to the numbers. I, I think this is why at that time I made the same observation that if we do not learn how to stand alongside with other Malaysians on issues rather than on ethnic matters, then we will never be able to carry our concerns across because what everybody wants the same thing out of life. Everybody has the same issues and concerns. So if we cannot uh, cut across uh, the ethnic divide and help everyone understand how these issues affect us as a whole, then I think there's very little chance. Uh, it will happen exactly as what they feared, as the uh, numbers are getting smaller, the uh, the alignment of constituencies would change. So, yeah, I, I, I suppose this has been talked quite a lot in, in the by the Chinese groups, especially fan associations and the Chinese-based uh, groups. But um, it affects Chinese school education. Technically, that's a misnomer. I mean, it's a Mandarin school. Um, 
there's also uh, some issues where you affect the perception of political uh, uh, power. This has been discussed and debated at length by many researchers and uh, political pundits, actually. Now, when we look at the the multiple reasons, and you said it's a very personal decision, but on an aggregate level, uh, when we look at the numbers, does brain drain or emigration contribute uh, significant, uh, you know, uh, significantly to the decline? Uh, are we seeing, for instance, or do we know, have data about who is leaving Malaysia, if they are leaving? Uh, are they highly skilled uh, young Malaysians uh, of Chinese descent? What do we know about that dimension of the phenomena? Yeah, we have very sparse data about uh, international migration. Most of the data actually came from the receiving country rather than from our country uh, outflow kind of data because that wasn't tracked. So, but we do have evidence, you know, like in our studies, our own studies at the institute where we asked the elderly, you know, do you have children overseas? And of course, the Chinese elderly have a huge proportion of number of children overseas, roughly 20, 25%, 20%, depending on their geographical distribution. But this is also the reason why uh, we can see that the aged care uh, industry or the aged care sector matures more fastly for the Chinese uh, group. You know, there are a lot of private aged care facilities that caters uh, to uh, the Chinese, the elder Chinese, rather than opposed to uh, the few number of uh, family homes for older persons. It's also because, you know, changing family structure, um, migration, uh, less children, therefore there is a growing demand for professional care, you know, care outside the family because probably the family can't cope. So, uh, or there's no children to be had. So um, it it does uh, jive nicely with our traditional beginnings where, the Chinese have charitable homes because uh, being a migrant community, some of them arrive in Malaya without uh, their wives or spouses. But today, the, the real scenario is that it's not so much uh, charitable homes, but uh, paid services, paid aged care services for elderly without children or elderly who are overseas. They can actually, among siblings, chip in together and put father or mother in a home. So that's what's happening for the past 10 and 20 years. Yeah, that's fascinating. Right, you're talking about the kind of social impact uh, of uh, not just declining birth rates, but also a shrinking population, and therefore also an aging population. I, I don't want to stay with the uh, the shrinking population dimension of it for a little longer. I want to know if you if there's any evidence about the distribution. I mean, because we have uh, Chinese communities across the federation, right? Both in the peninsula, Sabah and Sarawak. Mm. Sarawak has a large Chinese population. Do mm. we know if if the movements uh, are equal across uh, the federation or do they appear in significantly different uh, patterns? Oh, definitely. I think over the years, some uh, noticeable trends, like, you know, if we take one example, for example, in Perak, and uh, Perak used to be the wealthiest and largest state in, in Malaya. But over the years, due to the decline in the industry, the mining industry, uh, we can see that the younger population moved out to nearby states, you know, whether it's to Penang or to KL or Selangor, in huge numbers, hence contributing to a rapid aging of the states. By no means uh, it implies that the older persons are all poor, but what, what happens is that when the younger generation moves out, you know, especially where there are better job opportunities and high-paying jobs in the cities, you can see that 
uh, in the rural areas in Malaysia, very few births are actually happening. So because the youngsters have mobile, you know, they, they have their children and raise their kids in cities, some may send their children back to their hometown to be raised by parents. So definitely there are a lot of uh, population movement that contributes to changes in uh, family structure, in the way children are raised that affects fertility levels. But um, I think the real uh, cause of concern for us here is not to always uh, uh, drive it to cost of living concern. I think children uh, is really a gift if couples decide to have them. You know, they should not try to say, oh, I'm not going to have any children because I can't afford it. But it also generally implies that the poor should not reproduce. You know, that's a very slippery slope. So I, I think the real issue here is we should ask ourselves, you know, whether it's the Chinese community or the Malay or the other communities that is also facing a fertility decline, to really look at the issue and say that, you know, what's the value of children here? You know, why do we have them? I think we are not asking the right questions because we always ask uh, people, why don't you have children? You know, the negative way. But maybe we should start asking people, why do they want children? Why do they have children despite all the difficulties that they face? So I, I think that will be a more positive understanding of the kind of sacrifices you know parents have made for us and the ones that we probably will make for the future generations. You know, many decades ago, the former Prime Minister, Dr. Mahathir Mohamad, brought up the idea of having 70 million Malaysians. I mean, that was some sort of, you know, ideal for him in terms of know, creating an internal market, for instance. And of course, we have other countries in the region, like Singapore, that have pro-natalist policies because of the, the peculiarities of their demographic shifts. Is there anything similar here on a policy level in Malaysia and currently? Uh, is government concerned about addressing the decline, not just in the Chinese community, but in demographic shifts generally? Yes, very much so. In fact, <laughs> there are talks of actually trying to provide uh, better incentives for uh, couples, children, uh, trying to cut down on fertility costs. But the real question here is that uh, when you look at whole problem globally, then you can see that ultra-low fertility uh, uh, in populations is very much prevalent. I mean, let's forget China because it's a self-inflicted situation. Their population is in decline. Same thing, Japan uh, population has been in decline for 20 years. South Korea had ultra-low fertility rates, Singapore too. So Singapore has been really proactive about it and they really throw a lot of money at the problem hoping that um, the fertility levels would increase, but it's not really working uh, as well as they hope. It's really interesting to note that some European countries' uh, fertility decline has stabilized, but for East Asian countries like South Korea, for example, their decline is really still pretty steep. So um, perhaps like you mentioned that, you know, uh, the government has to do and take some action to stabilize uh, the fertility levels in this country. But how do we go about it is, is something that uh, we need to really talk about, you know, and uh, whether financial incentives is, is, is key or whether we are talking about values or whether we are talking about trying to uh, have more uh, free health care or free child care or education uh, so that people wouldn't feel that having children is so much a burden. But the, the core issue here is that 
I do not believe any couple will make any decision to have children out of patriotism or trying to fulfill economic market, you know, whether it's 17 million or not. So that that is something that we have to get real uh, fairly quickly. I do not believe any couple have children purely in the mind of, you know, trying to help the country economically. I don't think that that would be a primary of motivation at all. Okay, we have just a minute left with you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Final thoughts on looking at uh, the dragon year, looking at babies, uh, looking at the future. I think uh, the real issue here is that um, every birth is precious, every child is precious. I think we can do a lot more to uh, create a better environment that uh, helps families raise their children better. I think we can do a lot there. But uh, at the same time, we should also try and uh, help young couples or couples uh, in their childbearing years to understand that, you know, why why they, they think of having children? Why do you think that it's such an important thing? And not so much whether it's tradition or whether to boost the population figures, I think. I, I don't think that motivates anyone. I think uh, we have to go back to the basics and drawing board and say, what can we do to create an environment where people feel safe, people feel supported to have kids? And the value of children in our society, that, that should be our main uh, objective and driver at this moment. Thank you so much, Heng Tin. Thank you. That was Chai Sengting, a senior research officer at the Malaysian Research Institute on Aging of University Putra, Malaysia. Remember, we want to hear your thoughts on this. Are you worried about the decline in our Chinese population? Do you expect major shifts in the country's social fabric? You can call 7733-2900, WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.